guy. I say things that are much brighter and smarter than this guy. We are 40, we're about to be 42 years old. We're married. I have five kids. He's only got four. Uh, we played pro baseball. We went to Liberty University. We graduated in 98. I was drafted by the Red Sox. She was drafted by the Orioles. <laughs> we ended up starting a company. And I'm going to go through this really fast because we want to hit on how you guys can live powerfully in today's time. Look at this. They've got notes. they got notes. Yeah, no, you guys are actually amazing. amazing. We've spoken to so many schools. I do put that on here for you. No. So, so here we go. Uh, so I'm just going to go real fast. So when we got out of baseball, we were in the, we ended up, I got traded to the Cardinals. Jason ended up signing a creation contract with the Cardinals. That's another book that releases next uh, year, right before spring training. You guys will want that one. That, that's a fun story. But um, when we got out of baseball, we didn't know what we were going to do, so we started a real estate company. But here's what we did have. We had given our lives to Jesus at the age of 12 and surrendered to reading through the scriptures. So from 12 until 18, we were reading through the New Testament every year. We've got this little Bible reading schedule that we're actually going to hand you guys at the end of this. This was the Bible reading schedule that we started to use when we were 12 years old. And we still use it today. And then at the age of 18, when we went to Liberty, we started reading through the whole Bible every year. And uh, so what we began to learn was the principles of our faith, the principles of hard work, determination, diligence, effort, uh, humility, all of these things that God taught us that we had no business training. So when we got into business, we had that platform of principles. And those principles led to supernatural prosperity in the marketplace. Our company grew to 100 offices in 35 states. We had one of the fastest uh, growing private franchises in the country. In 2010, that led to a production company that said, we're putting a sizzle together on you guys. That led to an offer from TLC, which then led to a significant offer from HGTV, straight to series, no pilot, the whole nine yards. All of that happened. And then five weeks into filming, we got fired because we were pro-life and pro-marriage. And we had an opportunity to back down, but we chose not to. Now listen, at that same time, we had endorsements coming out. I mean, the size of the contract that we signed, when you start seeing multiple commas and crooked numbers, that's significant. But we looked at that, and listen, your age, I remember being your age thinking, man, if I could play Major League Baseball and have a platform for God and be married with children, man, that would be amazing. Well, we got all of that. And then in addition to have a reality television show and endorsements, I mean, we have Disney World, we have all of this coming in to us, it was crazy. And yet, at the moment when we had to compromise our Christian principles, we had a choice. And so that was our first book, Whatever the Cost is the name of that book. Are you going to serve Jesus, whatever the cost? You know, overseas, they lose their heads. Over here, we just get made fun of. Or we might lose a reality television show. Or maybe be ridiculed in our business or something like that. But God is now asking us, are you going to serve me whatever the cost? Well, we ended up by God's amazing grace, even though we were terrified, we stood strong in our principles and our faith, we ended up getting the axe. And it kind of thrust us into a media controversy. And we found ourselves, you guys would understand, we didn't say this last night, but since you're so young, we trended, we had 12 trending hashtags, we trended 51 million tweets in two days. 
Um, it was the number one story on Facebook, and this was all 2014, and Jason and I, you know, we, that's not something we ever set out to accomplish. That's not like, oh, I want to be famous, or I want to get my face on TV or whatever. No, we set out to honor the Lord Jesus Christ with our lives, and the principles of this book got us hired on a multi-million dollar contract with HGTV. But the principles of this book also got us fired in front of a watching world when we refused to back down on two stronghold issues. Now, these stronghold issues, and I'm going to let Jason talk here in just a second. But these stronghold issues are that life begins at conception. Actually, it's three stronghold issues, but you know, two kind of go hand in hand. Life begins at conception. In other words, an unborn child is a human being in a mother's womb. You know, I just realized that you're separating boys and girls. Is that on purpose? Yes. <laughs> probably pretty smart. <laughs> because the next stronghold issue is that sex belongs in the context of marriage. All right, now, now I said this on Megan Kelly, and I said it last night. That if you think about fireplace, how many of you have ever seen a fire in a fireplace? Let me see your hands. Okay, yeah, okay. You've all seen a fire in a fireplace. A fire inside of a fireplace is a wonderful thing. It heats your home, it warms your food, it's romantic, all that great stuff. But what's going to happen when that fire gets out into the living room floor and onto the furniture and it's left unchecked? It's going to burn your house down. The same thing that actually is a wonderful thing for your home becomes a terrible thing for your home when it's out of the proper context. And that's sex. Out of its proper context. Outside of marriage, before, during, or after, with someone else, it destroys your life. And God knows what it takes for us to flourish as human beings. And so he gave us that beautiful gift to be placed in the proper context. Now, if you say something like that in today's America, then you hate gays. Now, nothing could be further from the truth. Because Jesus loves all people, but he does not love all behaviors. And for, for us to identify with our behavior is pretty ridiculous. Think of it this way. Jason's son, Trey, is 15 years old. He's sitting at the dinner table, picks up a roll, and chucks it at his mom. And Jason goes, what the heck are you doing? Cut that junk out. And Trey goes, I'm sorry, Dad. I'm just a food thrower. Do you see the logic? It's like, no, you're not a food thrower. That is a behavior that is not respectful. Now cut it out. For us to simply say, well, I can't control my sexual urges, I'm just a whatever. I mean, you start going through all the acronyms now. No, that's not true. You are not defined by how you act. You are defined by who you are. You are a human being, not a human doing. And so it's really important for us as believers to step into this conversation. To step up and be willing to articulate from a biblical perspective that God's blessings are found within God's boundaries. But let me just say this real quick. Satan cannot capture you unless you let him. He, he, Satan can't capture you unless you let him. And do you know what he does, especially for kids your age? Is the, the first thing that he wants to do is lull you to sleep. He wants to, to lull you to sleep. And you know one of the ways that he does that? Is that he gets you into a context, maybe even something like this school, where you're so familiar with the things of God that they really don't matter anymore. You know what's worse than someone who says that I, I hate God? You know what's worse? It's for somebody that's just kind of like, meh, meh. 
We know God doesn't, God doesn't tolerate the person who's in the middle. He doesn't. It's either you're for me or you're against me. But what the worst is when you say, I'm for God, but you live like, eh. I'm just kind of, you know, just going through the motions. No. We're here today to tell you that's not going to work. And the danger of being asleep is that you're unaware of what's going on around you. Write this down. Three things. The dangers of being asleep. Three, three dangers. You're unaware of what's going on around you. Okay? Now, David and I can tell you some things that you probably don't know about the transgender revolution that is coming after your age, trying to teach you. That well, just in Charlotte alone, real quick, just in Charlotte alone, they introduced the gender unicorn. And here's what the gender unicorn does. They're teaching this in the Charlotte Mecklenburg school system. The gender unicorn, it's this purple Barney-looking unicorn animal with an X over its private part. And it teaches kids to ask two questions. Have you guys heard sexual orientation, gender identity? You've heard of all that, right? The whole, they call it SOGI, sexual orientation, gender identity. That's the big thing now uh, when they talk about all these uh, laws that are being made. Sexual orientation is who you go to bed with. Gender identity is who you go to bed as. And that's what the gender unicorn is teaching kindergarten kids in Charlotte, North Carolina. And it's fluid. So one day yourself. you can be a girl, one day you can be a boy, and nobody can tell you otherwise. And then they introduced a book called Jacob's New Dress and the Red Crayon. The Red Crayon wants to be a blue crayon, but the Red Crayon, because of social constructs, is told you're a red crayon. But the red crayon really is a blue crayon. Now, I just want to stop real quick. Let me give you a very simple analogy on where we're headed with this. Because in the same way that the sun always rises in the east and sets in the west, there are always three stars in Orion's belt. There are fixed, unchangeable, unalterable laws of the universe. If you're standing on top of this building and jump, gravity's going to pull you down. It doesn't matter what you think about that. It doesn't matter if you believe that that's a social construct. It's true. There is truth, and truth is truth, regardless of whether you accept it or believe it or not. It's true. In the same way that there are fixed laws of the universe, there are fixed moral laws that govern mankind. When you begin to sodomize another man, there are fixed laws that will happen to you. And God says, don't do that. Just like don't jump off a building, don't go and do that. And there are moral laws that God gives us, and they are fixed. And so what we're seeing today is very similar to if I go out and I drive in traffic, okay? Most of you probably are, you, you drive, okay? You're driving, and in any number, let's just say you're in Omaha and it's packed. There's a big baseball game there or whatever, and it's packed with people. There are thousands and thousands of cars on the road. And inside those cars, people can believe whatever they want. I mean, you can be a Muslim, you can be a Buddhist, you can be a Christian, you can be an atheist. Don't matter. Who cares? You can listen to whatever music you want. You can be whatever color you want. I mean, it doesn't matter. Races, all of that. There's a myriad of different people that are driving on the road. But everybody believes that red means stop and green means go. Now, when you begin to switch that, and in your little world, in your car, you say, in my world, green means stop and red means go. Don't you tell me 
Don't you? That's a social construct. What's going to naturally happen if you get out in traffic and start driving? If you actually abide by that, what's going to happen? You're going to get into an accident. Come on, be bold, be brave. You're going to get into an accident. And not only is it dangerous for you, but it's dangerous for everybody else. What we are witnessing in America today, back 10 years ago, even five years ago, yes, we saw some awful postmodern secular thinking. Pay close attention. There's some dudes zoning out. We used to watch that, hey, look, we all had these debates, you know, conservative and liberal and Republican and Democrat and all this other stuff. But now what we're seeing is the traffic laws are being changed. Green means stop, and red means let me, go. Let me ask you this. How many of you guys, well, you don't have to raise your hand in case you guys get in trouble, have seen the movie The Dark Knight? I saw it. David saw it. Now listen. Listen to what the Joker said. The That's Joker, not an endorsement. No, listen. Dark Knight. No, but man, I tell you what. If you're paying attention, God can speak through anything. I've got a good quote in here from Spider-Man and Captain America, Civil War. <laughs> but I will tell you. We love these war heroes. Watch this. Listen to what. Uh, in the movie, the Joker, all he's doing is just creating chaos like crazy. He's blowing stuff up and you can't buy him off. Nothing can happen. The Joker's an agent of chaos. Listen to what he says to Harvey Dent, who was the governor of New York City. He's on a hospital bed. You know, like on his deathbed, and the Joker finds his way into the hospital. And listen to what he says. This is after the whole city is in, is in an uproar. He says, introduce a little anarchy, upset the established order, and everything becomes chaos. I'm an agent of chaos. Oh, and you know the thing about chaos? It's fear. Do you know how the devil gets us to a point of chaos? Like when David is talking about removing the traffic lights. Or somebody can say, that green light means red to me. You know, it means stop to me. And, and the red light, it means go to me. And that, that's going to lead to chaos. And you know what happens with chaos? We move into a position of fear. And people who fear and live in fear can be controlled. Satan wants to scare the living daylights out of you. So he can control you. And the only way... That Satan cannot control you is for you to live with a whatever-the-cost attitude. Like our good buddy Dak back there. When he asked Jesus into his heart, he knew it was going to cost him some family relationships. Did it not? He knew it was going to cost him something, but he had to face that fear and he had to count that cost. For most of us, we haven't really paid anything. We haven't really paid a price to live for Jesus. It hasn't cost us anything. But what God is saying right now is even if it hasn't cost you anything in the physical, in your heart, you need to be willing to pay the price. Whatever it is. Okay, now, I want to jump back into those three points. Remember, number one, when you're asleep. So the devil wants to lull you to sleep. Number one, when you're asleep, you're unaware of what's going on around you. Number two, you're unconcerned about what's going on around you. You live like this. And you know what? That would define many of you in this room. Because when I was 16, when I was 15, I kind of had that same thing. My dad was out fighting, you know, the cultural battles. And David and I were like, you know, I scored 17 last night. I'm on my way to D1 college basketball scholarship. You know, all we were thinking about was ourselves. So we were just kind of, we were unconcerned about some of the stuff that was going on. So you're unaware of what's going on. You're unconcerned about what's going on. And finally, you're unable to do anything about what's going on when you're asleep. I can remember, well, let me repeat that. You're unable to do anything about what's going on since you guys are writing that down. Unable. 
I remember David and I, after our, it was our sophomore junior year of college, junior year I think, we lived in Dallas, Texas. We went to college at Liberty University, which was in Lynchburg, Virginia. The drive was about 16 or 18 hours. And I remember getting up one morning early. We had class starting the next day, and David and I had to drive all the way through the day and through the evening to get to school. And we woke up at 4.30 in the morning, and I never let him drive. He's such a lightweight. He can't drive in the morning. He can't drive at night. He has to take an afternoon nap. So I was always the one that drove. Nothing worse than not being able to trust the person who's driving. And so it was about 4.30 in the morning. We're, we're going about three hours, and we get to Shreveport, Louisiana on I-20, and the sun was starting to come up, and I was starting to get really tired. And I was starting to rubberneck it. And so I woke her up. I'm like, hey, man, you got to get up. And I pulled over. He did a couple laps around the car, you know, waking himself up. And he went and sat down in the driver's seat. And we took off. About 10 minutes later, I just dozed off to, I mean, just, it was a beautiful situation. And then all of a sudden, I woke up to the sound of rocks hitting the side of our truck. And I, look, I woke up and I looked over, and there was David in the driver's seat, hand on the steering wheel, head cocked back, <laughs> mouth wide open. You know, like the ugly face that happens when you fall asleep and you don't realize what's going on for 30 minutes. You've been like, you know, everybody's snapping pictures of you. I do that, by he the way. He did that to a lady on the plane. I couldn't help it. The lady was about 80 and she was like, I gotta get this. Bam. She never knew it. So I, I, I look over at David. And instantly I yell, wake up! And do you want to know what happens when you're asleep and you're startled awake? What happens? You, you, you jerk awake like this and you always overreact. Because when you've been asleep, if you're jolted awake, your reaction is not going to be accurate. Unless you're one of the few people with a demeanor like Gibber over there. You know, he wakes up and he's like, there you go. That's just thing. You know, Gibber. That's our nickname for Gib. You guys should do that when you see him. We love the Gibbs. The Bibber. Oh, yeah, that's right. Mr. jerks the steering wheel, and you're not supposed to do that, right? Because if you're going 65 miles an hour, you've got to slowly bring it back. Well, he jerked the steering wheel, and we did a 720 in the middle of the road. And I'm yelling, you're an idiot! I'm going to let us die! Oh, God! You said a few other things, too. No, I didn't. No, I, all my words were Christian. Christian cussing. Christian cussing. And so, by God's grace, we never flipped our car and we our truck and we slid down this embankment and stopped about three inches from the tree. And we got out of the car and I was like, oh God, thank you so much. And, and I looked over at David, I'm, I'm like, you will never drive again if you need to pass your seat. But you know, by God's grace, he, he saved us. But David in that situation, he was in the right seat. He had his hand on the steering wheel. He was where he needed to be. 
And we were actually moving forward, but we were going the wrong direction. And the reason why was because he was unaware of what was going on. He was unconcerned that we were going to hit a bridge. But he was unable to do anything about the direction we were going until he woke up. Now, let me pause there for one second. When my brother and I were kids, we used to buy ourselves boxing gloves. Every Christmas, I bought him a pair of Sugar Ray boxing gloves, and he bought me a pair of Sugar Ray boxing gloves. That was just kind of like a Christmas gift that we did for each other. And then we'd go out in the backyard, and we would just wear each other out. Now, he never, ever knocked me out. Not once to this day. Well, maybe a few times with his breath. But other than that, <laughs> we were 14, and we were out boxing. And it was funny, because Dad used to always want us to box. And then, you know, here Dad is. He's like, come on, Jake, knock him out. Jake, get him, knock him out. It was really weird. Dad would kind of raise us. <laughs> but David got really upset at me one time. He couldn't, you know, obviously my defense was just impeccable. Floyd Mayweather. So <laughs> and he couldn't land a shot on me. And he's all, you know, getting ready to cry. <laughs> and he rears back with his right hand like he's going to throw an overhand right. And when he did, he left himself exposed, and I just sat there all nice, cool, calm, and collected little South Park. Bam! I caught him right here. Boom! He went straight down. It was a lucky shot. No, I mean, he out like a light. He was totally unconscious. The same thing that I saw when he was on that, that driver's seat. And he's like that on the ground. And as a 14-year-old kid, my twin brother, who's actually older than me, I was like, boom! This was awesome. I felt like King Kong. Well, let me, let me say this. Do you know how back in the old days, the trainers for the boxers, when they would go into a boxing match, the trainers used to carry, you know how they would wake up boxers if they were unconscious, if they were knocked out? The trainers used to carry little smelling salts. So they would take these smelling salt if their boxer got knocked out and they'd go up to him right up underneath his nose and they'd snap that smelling salt. And those fumes would get up in his nasal passages and boom, he'd be startled away. That's what would happen. Let me ask you this. What does Jesus tell us that we need to be in the culture? You need to be light, but you also need to be what? Salt. We need to be salt and we need to be light. When we are salt, what we're doing is we are surrendering our hearts to Jesus, saying, I will live for you, whatever the cost. We're spending time daily in God's word, and in doing that, we're being salty, which means not only are we staying awake, but we're waking up those who are around us. That when your buddy is asleep, you're waking up those who are around you. That's what being salt is. And But the devil wants to lull you to sleep. He wants to, if you're salty, you won't fall asleep ever. Okay, so here's where we want to start now. We're going to give you four ways to, that you can live among lines. This is our second book. We're only talking four principles here. And our second book is called Living Among Lines, How to Thrive Like Daniel in Today's Babylon. And there are four principles or four ways that we're going to give you guys today uh, that is going to help you to be salt and light in this culture. It's going to help you to be that smelling salt. The key to being that smelling salt is one of these four ways. It's all four put together. We're going to go in order. Now, just real quick as an overview, Daniel, I know you guys are familiar with the name and probably familiar with the story, uh, but Daniel was a young man that was taken. The, the Jerusalem had been captured. 
by the Babylonians, and I got one dude sleeping, and I am going to embarrass the sun. No, 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 no. We got to take a picture. Okay. Where is I, no, I'm not going to show you where he is, but just pay attention because if you sleep, we will humiliate <laughs> Because we needed that when we were teenagers, too. Okay, okay so, we give them the four ways real quick since they're taking notes and that way. Okay, yeah, I was going to give them the Because I don't think we're not going to get through all four of these. Okay. But we can at least give them the points. You well, guys hold on, ready? Hold on, let me, give the, let me give the context and then you give the points. Here's the context Daniel was a Jew. The Jewish nation had been captured by Babylon. Now, it would be like uh, the Russians coming and taking over America and then taking some of the exceptional youth, all of the kids in this room, and taking you back to Moscow and saying, we're going to have you serve in Vladimir Putin's uh, administration. Okay, so it was Nebuchadnezzar was the king. They had taken Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these four youths. They took, and they were, most scholars believe they were between the ages of 13 and 16 years old. So they were your age, okay? And they took them into the court, and they basically wanted them to be, uh, I don't know what's the word, whenever you transform your mind. Anyway, they, wanna, they wanted to make them think Babylonian thoughts. They wanted them to have a Babylonian identity. They wanted them to remove all of their identity as Jews. They wanted them to be Babylonians. All right, and so the way that these guys lived was completely countercultural. It, it, they drove not only Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but Daniel at various times throughout their story drove stakes of testimony to the living God deep into the heart of the most powerful empire in the world. Drove kings to their knees. It was amazing. But the reason why they did it was four principles. Well, now you got to also remember these guys weren't much older than you. Maybe not any older than you. I already said that, but I'm just making sure. You got to pay attention. Well, I kind of zoned out a little bit. I'm not going to be honest. When he talks, I do that a little bit. Okay, here's your four ways. You guys ready? Write this down because I don't think we're going to be able to get through all these. I hope so. Number one, know who you are. Know who you are. This is four keys to living among lions. Four keys to living among lions. Because we all know that Daniel was in the lions den, but those lions didn't eat him. For one night, he lived among lions. And that's where we are today. And we need to live among lines. But number one, you've got to know who you are. Number two, make up your mind. We're going to explain these. Well, I want you to write them down right now. That way you just go ahead and get them. Number two, make up your mind. Number three, let it be known. Let it be known. And number four, you guys will like this one because it will not make sense to you. Keep your windows open. Keep your windows open. Number one, know who you are. Daniel knew who he was. Do you know what Satan seeks to do today? He seeks to rob. You guys have heard this. Satan seeks to rob, to kill, and to destroy. What he wants is destruction. But he can't destroy you until he first kills you. And he can't kill you until he first robs you. And what does he want to rob you of? You know what he wants to rob you of? Your identity. He wants to rob you of your identity. That's what Satan does. Because if he can get you to not know who you are or to forget who you are, then he can completely control you. You know, the big elephants at the circus, which I don't think circuses are even legal anymore to have elephants, but they used to have these ginormous elephants and they were, they were always able to be tied down to the stake with just a small little chain. You know, those elephants have the strength at any moment to break, to break that chain. And to free themselves, you know that those elephants have the strength to do that. But you know why they won't? It's because when they're little baby elephants, 
They're tied up to a really strong chain. And they're trying to break free. They're trying to break free. They're trying to break free, but they can't. And then as they grow bigger and bigger and bigger, they think, well, I don't have the strength to break free from this chain. When in reality, they do. So they're able to be controlled because they don't even recognize their strength. You have to know who you are. You have to know the strength that's inside of you. And if you understand the strength that's inside of you, Satan can't control you. But to know who you are, you've got to get into God's word. And you've got to recognize that you don't need to find yourself. You need to lose yourself. Your creator knows you better than you know you. So your one responsibility to know who you are is to get along with your creator and get into the word and let him show you to yourself. You're like, well, how does that work? I don't know. I have no idea how that works. But I also don't know how a black cow can eat green grass under a blue sky and produce white milk. But I don't put water in my Wheaties just because I don't understand it. No, I put milk in my Wheaties because I know that it nourishes me. Just because you don't understand something doesn't mean that you ought not eat it and digest it. With the Bible, it's the exact same way. You get into God's word, even though you don't understand it, even though you don't know how it's working, you have a supernature inside of you once you accept Christ into your heart. And that supernature needs to be fed by God's word. And guess what? When you do that, all of a sudden, the more you focus on him, the more you discover about you. And God is showing you who you are. Satan does not want you to do that. And that's why he doesn't want you to get alone with God and read his book. So if you're going to live among, among lions, you have to first know who you are. If you have Jesus Christ, if you pray to receive him, you have the King of kings and the Lord of lords inside of you. Scripture says you are more than a conqueror. The scripture says greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. So you are motivated by faith and not by fear. Nothing should, make you, nothing should make you afraid because you walk by faith, not by sight. Even if things look bleak on the outside, you walk by faith. So you have to know who you are. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they came into Babylon, they knew who they were. It wasn't, you know, some last-minute Hail Mary prayer. It was Daniel and these boys knew exactly who they were. The second thing that Daniel did was he made up his mind. And this is Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. It says that when the Babylonians, when Daniel and, and, the, and his buddies were taken into Babylon, it said that Daniel made up his mind he would not defile himself with the king's meat. Now, listen. Scholars are pretty clear that the, the, a lot of the Babylonian meat was sacrificed to idols and Jews didn't eat that. But at the same time, Jews didn't eat certain kinds of meat. But at the same time, Daniel's refusal and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's refusal to eat the king's meat was a refusal to have total Babylonian assimilation. In other words, they were going to be in Babylon, but not let Babylon in them. Okay? That is the point of Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, when it says he made up his mind. And here's how we relate this. How many of you like chocolate chip cookies? Yeah, if you don't like chocolate chip cookies, you're crazy. Well, if we're going to make chocolate chip cookies, and we've never made them before, but the analogy is fantastic. If you're going to make chocolate chip cookies, you have sugar and flour and butter and salt and all this stuff, and you blend it together, and you take a bite of it. I mean, yeah, it tastes pretty good, but, I mean, you don't take a, a sample 
of the, the cookie dough without the chocolate chips, you don't take a sample of it and go, hmm, interesting. I think I just tasted some flour. Oh, no, that was definitely some butter. No, because it all blends together. It loses its form. Now, when you pour in the chocolate chips, the chocolate chips mix in, but they don't blend in. They keep their distinct form, even when put in the oven. You will always know when you've been into a chocolate chip. You see, the nature of a chocolate chip is different well, let me, than let me everything just, else that's in the let batch. Me, let me say this so you guys can remember this, okay? And you guys need to write this down. We are to be the chocolate chips in the cookie dough of culture. We are to be the chocolate chips in the cookie dough of culture. If you're not writing this, then you have a photographic memory. We mix in, we don't blend in. You guys, I'm going slow. We mix in, we don't blend in. We keep our form even when put in an oven. So even when the heat turns up. So we are to be, as Christians, and Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach show us this. They were the chocolate chips in the cookie dough of their culture. They mixed in. We're supposed to be mixed in, but we don't blend in. We keep our form even when the heat turns up. And that's where we find ourselves in today's context. High school kids, college kids, you will think this way about sex. You will think this way about gender. You will think this way about any number of issues. And what they want you to do is they want you to blend into the world. This is what Satan wants. Just wants you to blend in. Just blend in and lose your form. In Daniel 1.8 it says, but Daniel made up his mind. Today, you need to make up your mind. You're going to follow Jesus. So what's the difference between flour and a chocolate chip? What's the difference between butter and a chocolate chip? What's the difference between sugar and a chocolate chip? A chocolate chip has a different nature. That even when you put it in the oven, it still stays a chocolate chip. And it has to be mixed into a batch. If you just put a bunch of chocolate chips into the oven, what happens? They melt. You've got to put chocolate chips into the batch first. got to get in there. So that we got to be in the world, but not of the world. But we have to have a different nature. We've got to be feeding that super nature that's inside of us in God's word. And when we do that, we will stand out. Okay? So first two, know who you are, make up your mind. Number three. Let it be known. What we mean by that is, don't be scared to enter the conversation. Let it be known, not only with the way that you live your life, but the words that you say. Daniel had three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You guys remember the story. When the, the, the king said, I'm building this statue of myself. And when the music plays, everybody's supposed to bow down and worship it. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were at this ceremony. And he said, the king said, if you don't bow down and worship, then we're going to throw you into the blazing furnace. And this furnace was so hot, nobody wanted to get thrown in there. But when the music started playing, every nose in Babylon, including all of the Jews who were there, their nose hit the ground. And even those, those Jews were probably saying, you know what, I'm not really worshiping, but I'm just going to go ahead and bow down because I don't want to die. But in their hearts, they were, they were forsaking the Lord. But these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't. They stood strong. And when the king found out about it, he went and got them. And they came up to him. And the king says, don't you know what I can do to you? I'm going to throw you in the furnace if you don't bow down and worship the image that I made. And their response was perfect. They said, oh, oh Nebuchadnezzar, 
We're not scared of you. He said, you know what? Our God can save us out of that furnace. But even if he doesn't, even if our God chooses not to, let it be known, we will not bow down to this image. Man, that's awesome right there. Let it be known. Do you know there was a time when I was with the Baltimore Orioles, I was in high A ball in Frederick, Maryland, and we were getting ready to play against the team, and it was student night. There was about 5,000 people packed out in the stands, and it was student night, and all these kids and parents were there. We were stretching in right field, and just before, it was probably about 30 minutes before game time, sports information director comes running down the field, and she comes over to where our team is, and she comes up to me and says, hey, Jason, our general manager wants one of the players to address the crowd tonight. And since it's student night and there's all these kids here, we want, we want you to do it and we want you to spend 60 seconds talking about the importance of reading books. I was so motivated and inspired. <laughs> Great. I hate reading. And uh, I instantly said, okay, you know, at first I got self-conscious. I'm like, I don't want to do this. But I said, okay, I'll do it. Because I felt like God was saying, this is an opportunity for you. Just before she left, she said, okay, now you don't have time to preach a sermon or anything. It's funny that my reputation had preceded me, that I had told people about the Lord. She says, don't, don't preach a sermon. I said, okay. So I went up into the clubhouse and I prayed and said, God, I have no clue what I'm supposed to say for 60 seconds. What in the world? On books? I have no clue. But... I do know that I represent you, and this may be the one opportunity that any of these people have to ever hear your name. So somehow, someone give me something to say. And I remember walking down to the field, and there was a microphone on home plate, and both teams were in the dugouts. And as I began to walk out there, there was a hushed silence over the crowd. Now 5,000 people, and all of the players were watching as they saw me walking toward the microphone. I was thinking that maybe they thought that I was coming out to sing the national anthem or something. But everybody's like, uh, what is this guy doing? And so I walked out there, I stood at the plate, and, I, and just before I got up there, I said, God, give me something, because I still didn't know what I was going to say. And I grabbed the microphone, and I belted out the theme song of Family Bob of the opera. Not really. <laughs> but you guys are like, uh, I'm not following. I grabbed the microphone, and I said, you know, I've heard the greatest things in life are the people that you meet and the books that you read. And the greatest person that I've ever met is Jesus Christ, and the greatest book that I've ever read is the Holy Bible. And Jesus promises that he'll change your life if you read his book. <laughs> I took off. The place erupted. Standing ovation. As I was walking off, I looked over in the crowd and these parents were just going, thanks for just saying it, thanks so much for speaking that. You know, in that moment, I let it be known. I was scared to death. But in that moment, I let the word of the Lord come out of me. And you want to know what Satan does? Is he gets you, especially at your age, so self-conscious that you will never say anything about the Lord. How does faith come? Does, does faith come by seeing? Does faith come by watching? Faith comes how? By hearing. People have to hear it. We have to be willing to enter the conversation, whatever that means for you. It may be a Facebook conversation where a young lady has said, you know what, I'm a man. And a bunch of people are saying, well, congratulations, you are a man. And maybe God has pricked your heart and said, that's not who you are. And maybe you should reach out to them privately and say, that's not God, who God made you to be. You see? But you're so scared because you don't want to offend somebody. What God is saying, let it be known. 
Just let it be known. Bring the truth in love. And when you do that, God will show up. So if you're going to live among lines, you've got to know who you are. That the King of kings and the Lord of lords lives inside of you. You're motivated by faith, not by fear. Then you have to make up your mind that you're going to be in the world, but not of it. You're not going to let the world inside of you. You're going to be a chocolate chip. You're going to keep your distinct form. And then you have to let it be known. Now enter the conversation. Start speaking the truth. What's the promise of Scripture? And you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Satan is captivating kids. Satan is captivating this nation. Satan is captivating our government and media and arts. And we want, we want you out there in it. Get into government. Run for office. We want you making music. Make movies. We want you building businesses. Starting families. Get out there. Get in the culture, but don't be of it. And then lastly, when you live like this, you know who you are, you've made up your mind, and you let it be known, all hell is going to turn against you. And when you get targeted, and when the wind of persecution picks up, keep your windows open. You know what that means? Don't change who you are. Write that down. Right next to it. Don't change who you are. You now know who you are. Don't change when the heat turns up. All right, now, for the teachers, I know we're already over our time, so we're going to close with this. we got more points to make, but we're not going to make any more. Daniel, in Daniel chapter 6, a new king had come, Darius, and they were gonna ele Darius was going to elevate him to the top in Babylon. And so there was an ordinance, because people didn't like it, there was an ordinance crafted against Daniel's faith. It was a law that they made to specifically target Daniel's faith. And the simple law was this. You can pray to nobody but King Darius for 30 days. Now, if we want to get strategic, the Jews could have easily just bowed out for 30 days uh, and day 31 go back to praying to their God. But Daniel had a custom that every day he would go up into his roof chamber with his windows open toward Jerusalem. And since Daniel was a very prominent figure, uh, most scholars, pretty much every scholar, believes that he lived in a significant part of the city where everyone could see him. So it was a public display every day. And so here Daniel was living his faith publicly. And when that law was signed, it said when Daniel read the entire ordinance, he went up to his roof chamber with his windows open and prayed toward Jerusalem. You see, he didn't close his windows. He kept them open. He kept his convictions. He did not change who he was. What happened as a result of that? Where did he get tossed? Into the lion's den. And God had a supernatural miracle, and it changed the direction of that nation because of his faithfulness. And we believe that we're in that context today. That if you know who you are, if you make up your mind, if you let it be known, and when all hell breaks loose, you keep your windows open... God is going to transform this nation. So let me finish with a word of prayer. Are they, you guys all coming back? Okay, yeah, okay. We'll do Bible reading schedules and stuff like that in our next session. But let me finish with a word of prayer and then get out of here wherever you got to go. Lord, we love you. Thank you for these kids. Thank you for this opportunity and a privilege uh, that we have to speak to them. And Lord, I pray that you would take these words. They're not our words. They are your words in the book of Daniel that you've given to us for such a time as this. Lord, I pray that these words would resonate in the hearts of these kids. Lord, that they would know who they are. If they've never accepted you as their personal Lord and Savior, may they do that today in Jesus' name. Let them know who they are. Then, Lord, help them to make up their mind for the believers that are in here. Let them make up their mind that they will mix in but not blend in 
Lord, and I pray that they would let it be known. They'd be willing to speak the truth that sets the captives free. And then, God, I pray they would keep their windows open when the devil targets them. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the promises of your word. We will be motivated by faith and not by fear today. In the name of Jesus, amen.